0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: This is Mia from the future coming in before this episode to tell you that today's episode handles some heavy topics, such as eugenics and its implementation, and that if you feel uncomfortable with the topic, feel free to skip this episode. While it's an important section of medical history, we understand that hearing about one of its darkest chapters can be exhausting, and we want our listeners to be comfortable above all. With that in mind, here is today's episode. Hi, and welcome to LeechFest, a medical history podcast where we deal with very serious topics, uh, but also have a little fun occasionally. I'm Mia Mulder.
0: And I'm Raluca Muntano.
1: Today we're going to talk about eugenics, a very complicated subject to discuss that has a lot of uh, deep historical roots and also awful examples in history. Mm. But also, I feel, a very good example of when when science goes wrong and when well-meaning ideas go awry. But first, of course, before we start the podcast, we would like to thank a patron.
0: This episode is dedicated to Nick Stilly. Thank you, Nick, for supporting us. We couldn't do it without you.
1: Mm -hmm. And of course, we want to thank all patrons for helping us host and uh, pay for all the costs that are involved in having a podcast. Uh, Thank you. And if you're interested in maybe getting a shout out, like like good old Nick did, uh, you can become a patron of of the podcast and get access to some special goodies as well.
0: Before we get into the podcast itself, how have you been, Mia?
1: I've been sick. Mm. I have had the illness... The old sickness. The plague. The plague doctor has been around my house and, has, and has deemed me was worthy me. <laughs> of being alive.
0: I'm the plague doctor. Oh, God.
1: Uh, for now, I am still allowed to be alive. I mm-hmm. have not yet been burned in my home, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm very happy about. Mm-hmm. How have you been?
0: I've been fine. Mm.
1: Well, good for you,
0: then. <laughs> must be nice, huh? Uh, must be nice. Um, not being
1: bedridden for a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but I've been, I've been great. I am... Um, i'm learning swedish right now as you know so i just finished the course which is really good i feel like my swedish is improving mm-hmm. so that's that's all fine and dandy
1: mm-hmm. you won't hear it here on the podcast though because this is an english podcast we speak english yeah Anglaise. Engelska. engelska so
0: anyway let's get into the podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> so eugenics a lot of people who are listening to the podcast probably know a little bit about what it is. Probably heard it. Most people probably know that it's something bad. It's something very negative. But before we get into why, that's probably a correct assumption. What is eugenics? In very basic terms. Mm. Before we go into like the history of it, the origins, uh, or its implementation. like what In, in, in theory.
2: What is it?
0: Well, put simply, eugenics is the application of principles of genetics and inheritance to the improvement of the genetic landscape of the human race, or so they fought the people who were proponents of eugenics. So historically, this has been achieved by encouraging people with air quotes, good stock to breed. Good genes. (laughs) Good genes to breed and discouraging people with air quotes, inferior genes to breed. Mm -hmm. I
1: I can't see how this could go wrong in any sort of matter at all, or be influenced by things such as racism or classism. Yeah. Sounds like a perfect objective science.
0: Mm. Yeah, because when I say discourage, what I really mean is uh, implement state-run segregation, institutionalization, and sterilization Mm. programs.
1: We're going to get into that.
0: But how did the idea come to exist?
1: Mm. That's a good question, because... The concept of eugenics, the concept that that we can selectively breed humans to become quote-unquote better humans, has existed since antiquity. Plato, ye olde Plato in ancient Greece, argued for the selective breeding of people into certain classes. Specifically, he wanted to breed people in the guardian class of people. To be as good and hearty as and smart as possible. The guardian class were the people who ruled in ancient Athens, and in and Plato basically argued that like we this democracy business nah, we need to have genetic superhumans. Not genetic, he didn't say that because genetics wasn't a the science then. But like he he wanted like super well bred stock of people. They are to be the rulers. Everyone else can like they can go work in the fields or whatever. <laughs> but like we need. Only good leaders should breed with other good leaders, and that way we were gonna get the best leaders. Mm-hmm. Sparta, so still in ancient Greece, famously killed any child that didn't live up to a Spartan ideal, which any child that was born with any form of like deformation or just didn't live up to the ideal was instantly killed. I figured the Spartan ideal is children being born with a full beard, complete six-pack. I mean, Sparta is very much the, the bro-jock culture of ancient Greece. <laughs> Nice baby, bra. <laughs> that's a good baby. That's gonna live. And then they threw the baby as a, as a football. And because it is a Spartan elite of a baby, that that child will bounce a few times and be perfectly fine. According to Tacitus, a Roman historian, Germanic tribes would kill members of their own society, not just children, if they were particularly unwarlike. Uh, so if you're if you're hanging with your buddies and one of them is like, maybe we don't go to war. It's like your your buddies might decide like we. What the fuck is this? We you can't you, we we, you, we can't allow you to have kids. <laughs> we need to breed warriors, and this is again like a, t- a type of eugenics, potentially, like a, a very baseline concept of it. And and I think it's interesting because people understood that like breeding is a thing because you can like farmers breed animals, farmers breed crops in a very specific way, right, to improve the stock, even long before they had an understanding of what genetics was. Mm. So these ideas, that you could you know, breed humans to become better humans, was always sort of around, but never really made into, into big, into the mainstream. Uh, but along comes a man called Charles Darwin, who had an interesting theory. Well, he didn't come up with it, but he popularized the theory of natural selection. He also noted that this is something that we as humans kind of already do to animals and crops, like a sort of artificial selection. But eugenics, the idea that we can do this to humans in order to selectively get better traits, became more formalized into a science, quote-unquote, by a cousin of Charles Darwin, Francis Galton. Galton came up with the idea that we can, we can apply this to select for good genes in humans, make humans into better stock.
0: What if? Unless... <laughs>
1: What if we uh, breed no, no, no. good people? No, no,
2: Unless. Unless.
1: no. Unless? No, 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 it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. Unless.
2: Unless. <laughs> Unless. Uh, um, but
1: he coined this term good creation from ancient Greek. Uh, mm-hmm. Good birth, like ancient Greece, mm-hmm. Greece. Greek is hard to translate. And that's where we get the term eugenics. But he was very concerned about, like, because we as a society don't kill all the poor people because and we... starving <laughs> people and sick people constantly, yeah. we as humanity w- won't evolve. Yeah. yeah. Which is a uh, very inhuman and evil idea by the way Francis Galton is like deep in hell right
0: now he was especially concerned with the decline of intelligence mm. so he he believed that intelligence is an inherited trait and that the upper classes were the most intelligent and accomplished people and he he was very concerned about how less wealthy people tended to have like a lot of children mm-hmm. and so he thought that by allowing them to have a, a lot of children like society as a whole would um, progressively move towards like b- being less intelligent yeah. as a whole.
1: Which is he basically saw the movie *Idiocracy* and thought that it would become a fact.
0: I haven't seen the movie. I <laughs> <really> <laughs> haven't seen the movie. I the wish. Movie, I, okay.
1: So Okay. I this wish I like, could. No. I
0: wish I could understand this reference. Okay, I I'm
1: don't. going to explain this reference because it's actually actually a really good reference because really? the movie is like pro eugenics in a weird way. A so the movie is based on like this average person from the present. It's transported like I think a thousand years into the future or something. And all of humanity has become super stupid because rich people don't have kids and poor people who are stupid have many kids. Mm-hmm. And now stupid genes have become super popular. And now this average basically, man Galton's is basically sm- Galton's nightmare. Galton's nightmare. And this average man is now the most intelligent person on, on the on the planet, basically. Mm-hmm. And he becomes president and like fixes everything because mm-hmm. he's so smart. Um it's a pro-eugenics movie for, for, because, because of that reason. But we can also see that, like, these anxieties about, like, oh, the stupids. It's they're not just him. It's not just him. Yeah. People had it before. And people are still kind of having it. Yeah. Because they don't understand that, like, that's not really how intelligence works. for yeah. humans. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> this idea that he promoted uh, the eugenics, that we can actively change human evolution, that we can direct it, became very very popular very very quickly and i
0: i want to say that darwin did not agree with his interpretation of uh like the theory of natural selection
1: yeah like Um, darwin you know wasn't anti-racist by by that but he was he was also like pretty smart in the idea that like he knew that like that's not that's not how this works but this this idea that kind of born out of darwinism and kind of got maladapted by galton that our genes is what determines our personality and our actions. It's something called genetic determinism that all other circumstances, like. Don't uh, matter. It yep. doesn't matter. How your race doesn't matter. Uh, what circumstances you have under your life doesn't matter. It's all about the genes. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's called genetic determinism. And it is wrong, to a, to a huge degree. I just want to say that out loud. Genes obviously do affect like who we are as people, but it doesn't affect us that much. We do still live, unfortunately, in a society. Well, no, they,
0: they do affect us a lot, but it's not all there is to it.
1: Yeah, but the, the idea that, anyway, the, the point is that the belief that genetics determine wholly a person's behavior is called genetic determinism, and it's wrong. At the same time though, because as this sort of discussion about like, oh, maybe we can breed humans into becoming better, we also live in a very, very racist society. And researching this, I realized it's, it's really, it's impossible to talk about the history of eugenics while not talking about the history of scientific racism. During this time, the, the late 19th century, a lot of scientists and thinkers uh, are doing a lot of science on race. Why, what are the races? <laughs> why how how come europe has conquered the world it's not because they are imperialist war machines it's obviously because for some reason these scientists conclude white people are just somehow superior to the rest of the world and these white scien- wh- these white european scientists just happen to come to the conclusion that white europeans are just somehow better weird how they came to that conclusion isn't it Often rich white Europeans it's as well. Very like,
0: convenient also. It's
1: very convenient that I who do the science just happen to come up on top. Weird. and uh, just happens to that all of the people that we enslave across the world are just somehow worse, inherently weird. This was often done uh, by scientists and by European powers to sort of excuse their global empires. It's a lot easier to enslave people if you can convince yourself that like, this is a correct thing to do if you can scientifically argue for wrongly but like if you can pretend to scientifically argue for the superiority of like Europeans over the rest of the world then it's pretty easy to convince people in Europe that like oh, this is fine this is a morally okay thing to do so you may have heard of you may have heard of this that scientists would sort humanity into tiers people like uh, for example carl linnaeus from here in Sweden <laughs> Uh, who you may remember for having invented the system that we classify plants and animals. He also classified people and he did it in the same way too. Um, he sorted various races and described how they act and what they are ruled by. Carl Linnaeus describes the white person as the Europeanus.
0: Europeanus?
1: Europeanus. Okay. Uh, he is white, sanguine, brownie, with abundant long hair. Blue eyes, gentle, acute, inventive, covered with clothes vestments, and governed by laws. He also describes uh, Asians. He describes the uh, American Native Americans, mm-hmm. and he describes uh, people from Africa.
0: You're you're. Are you going to read those? I am not because yeah. they
1: are all horrific. Yeah, yeah. Um, the his description of white people is like very flattering. Governed by laws. Let's just say that the other races, according to Carl Linnaeus, they don't get as much of a flattering description. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can imagine.
1: So people try to come up with scientific reasons to excuse their racism. With the simultaneous sort of discovery of natural selection is where we get the horrible implementations mm-hmm. of what eugenics actually meant in practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because during this time, We're getting, we're starting to get into like the 1890s, early 1900s. Governments get into this idea. It's not just something that like Francis Galton is writing about to his buddies, like in some academy. Uh, They get into the idea that like, hey, if we have the best human stock, we'll have the best country. So it becomes something that governments wants to research. Governments would sponsor universities with this with massive grants of money scientists would be given obscene amounts of money to research this, and they would invent all sorts of new, like, types of science in order to promote this. Like, they would start measuring skulls, they would start measuring noses, they would measure each and every, like, physical difference between various kinds of people. And this happened, uh, as we know, with, like, things like race biology, like, between the different races, like I mentioned, but it also happened between, like, the rich and the poor, mm-hmm. it happened between, ver- like, people, uh, uh, this this one example where some eugenicists would do it, like uh, for French speaking Frenchmen and French speaking Germans, really? Germans, and then German speaking Germans and German speaking Frenchmen. Like mm-hmm. they would they would do some weird stuff uh, along the border of Germany and France to see who is actually German.
0: Yeah. Mm. who is
1: actually french
0: i know that galton actually because he was so focused on intelligence as like a, a main trait to select for i know he tried to develop intelligence tests and he was yeah. actually one of the first who actually like tried to put that into practice like mm. intelligence testing and so he he tried to do that for for members of the upper and the lower mm-hmm. class and he didn't find any differences and he got like mad about <laughs> it <laughs> damn it that didn't make him stop and think like no. hey maybe I should rethink my theories. He just yeah. kind of went on to, like, other tests. Yeah, because
1: I, just... I think it's important here to note that, like, a lot of the science done here isn't really to come up with, like, truth. Mm. It's sort of to excuse the way society is already existing. Like, yeah. they they want to find evidence that, like, what we're doing already is fine. It's fine that we have rich and poor people because the, the poor people are more stupid. So when they find evidence to the contrary, he's going, ah can't be right
0: can i complain about something really quick yeah when i was reading about like galton's intelligence tests it's very rare that you actually see him being mentioned in the context of eugenics like people Mm. always talk about him as like sir francis galton Mm -hmm. the first uh the first scientist who studied the intelligence of the mind (laughs) came up with intelligence testing Mm -hmm. like
1: not thinking you know. that the, the reason he's doing this. Yeah, is to, like, isn't
0: that kind of weird? Like, find I, people that exactly. are of lesser stock. Exactly. Like, probably one in five sources I've I've seen where where they mm-hmm. give some sort of like mention of the context, but most times it's just like he was a very nice man, very good scientist, came up with mm-hmm. intelligence testing,
1: also invented genetics, but don't think about that.
0: Yeah. Anyway. It's <laughs> just so, something I've noticed. It's weird.
1: I feel like this happens a lot of time in, in also history. Also with studies. Linnaeus. Linnaeus oh, oh, my yeah. like, oh my god. Like when you research Linnaeus, most sources just talk mm-hmm. about like, oh he classified the animals mm-hmm. and he classified mm-hmm. the plants and he was so smart and he educated so many people. Um he did also like classify the races into various kinds to excuse the existence of uh like the Swedish East India Company and the uh, the one colony we had in the Caribbean. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drag us back on topic. Sorry. A little bit. That's fine. We love this podcast. We love, we, we, I was about to say we love Carl we don't, racist. Mm-hmm. Racist old bag spinning in hell. Anyway.
0: Sack of shit.
1: So, <laughs> so eugenics becomes popular both in academia, as scientists combine this for like their idea of how how the races operate, but it also becomes popular yeah, in the government because they see like economic and political applications with this as well, but there are also like huge social movements that are promoting eugenics. The entire eugenicist movement was a sort of combination of a lot of different scientists, like people like people who were statisticians. They would become e- eugenicists mm-hmm. because they saw, like they would see like poor areas and rich areas, and they was like, oh, we can just breed out the poor areas for some reason. So eugenics became this like huge umbrella term to encompass a lot of different ways of guiding humanity. the The idea in the in the movement that that was popular among just normal people was that like this is a way for humanity to guide our own evolution, which today is seen as kind of like completely out there. But and back in the day, it was like we have harnessed genes and we can evolve ourselves. Mm. Up until this point, it's mostly been academic discussions, like theories of how to improve humanity, hasn't really been that much set in practice just yet. Uh, It wasn't until the foundation of race biology, like I kind of mentioned already, as a subsection of eugenics where things become complicated, and things get put into practice. The first ever institute uh, for race biology was founded in Sweden, and more cropped up all over the world in the early 1900s. And the idea was that they would use the science of eugenics to improve the human stock in practice, not just in theory. And this is where we start seeing eugenics becoming a state-sponsored project that, imp- that impacts regular human beings like citizens of countries. And when we talk about the implementation, we need to also talk about the fact that there are two different kinds of eugenics. There is negative eugenics, where you try to breed out negative traits. And there is positive eugenics, where you want to encourage, quote-unquote, positive traits. Because humanity is so varied, it's kind of hard for governments to promote an ideal. That's harder than promoting a negative one. Negative one is easier to convince people of for example, in America, that, that black people during this time are not seen as e- are not seen as equal genetically to white people, and there is an idea that, like, the, the genes from black people shouldn't infect, quote-unquote, the white population. Mm. Obviously, that's based on, like, yes, good old-fashioned racism, but it is, it's coming from a eugenicist standpoint, that, like, they're, it's not just because they, it's not just because white, racist white people don't like mixed kids, it's that it's, they see it as a genetic infection. They also institute just general segregation, so to keep the 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 quote unquote bad stock away from white people. Again, oh, this feels horrifying to say, but like this is the logic that they used. Sterilization was mm-hmm. also something that many governments would, would yeah, implement. That was, that was a big and, one, and probably the most common one during this time to to be implemented because it was implemented in America, the UK, France, Sweden, Norway, uh, Finland, uh, Spain, France. The Netherlands, like a lot of countries, basically, and those who would be sterilized would be people who who were who who were deemed to be of lesser stock, people who were mentally ill, people who were sometimes just poor, destitute, mm-hmm. people who uh, had committed crimes, criminals. Mm-hmm. A lot of criminals were sterilized because there yeah. there was an idea that like criminality was also something that you could be in and could be inheritable.
0: Mm-hmm. Homosexuals. Homosexuals.
1: Homosexuals, in some cases, like even promiscuous politica. women. Promiscuous, oh for sure. Promiscuity mm-hmm. is also genetic. Like this, and this is the danger of genetic determinism, because you can take any sort of behavior that is, I don't know, that reasonable people would classify as like reasonable human behavior, but you and you can classify it as, as a genetic thing that you can affect mm-hmm. and then breed out. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where the danger. Is. So uh, that definitely, and also just like women who had malformed children. For example, on one end the children wouldn't even get close to as much medical help as they would need. Sometimes forced abortions would happen when they found that like a child had some sort of anomaly, and then the then the mother might be sterilized because they the, yeah, the they fear think was that yeah, she has that, bad like, genes. They, yeah, that she has bad genes, and they're like, okay, we can't have that. America does this like very well, though. Like a lot of European countries do this. A lot of and uh, a lot of, for example, Native women were mm-hmm. sterilized because the idea what the like Native Americans are not are not uh, acceptable. Yeah, as a race, Canada does this as well to First Nation people. And still does it to some extent. You mentioned LGBT people, of course, but there's a barrier right now between like preventing people from breathing further and outright killing people that you don't like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The idea is that you will improve human stock in the long term, like by genetics. You don't actually have to kill anyone to do it. You just need to like uh, snip some snip some balls. But that that barrier is about to be uh, is about to be crossed because in the 1930s, eugenicist ideas are popular all over the western world at this point because they see they see this as a a good state project to have and german scientists observe how the american eugenicist project is operating and how it's treating for example native americans how it's treating uh, its own black population and they take these ideas and are inspired by them uh, the worst mood board ever and apply it to well they take it back to germany because in germany at this time they also have their own eugenicist ideas Well, in America, their eugenicist ideas are more directed at uh, people who are Black, uh, Native Americans. In Germany, it's it's focused against probably primarily uh, Jewish people and uh, Romani people. And they turn similar eugenicist ideas from America on its own population. Uh, This is where we get the Nuremberg Laws. Germans are not allowed to marry Jews, but Germany also goes... A bit further in their eugenics ideas, because they also promote positive eugenics. They really have this idea of like the ideal human, the Aryan, the Aryan race, which is blue, who is a blonde, blue-eyed, uh, pale, uh, and all of these things. So, its, it's eugenics ideas are very similar, like the type of sterilization segregation uh, in the '30s, but they also promote Aryan German women to have as many children as possible in order to outbreed in quote-unquote lesser races. The Nazis also uh, deemed those that, you know, they saw as mentally incurable as being unworthy of life and uh, sterilized them and eventually went to the point of just outright executing them, starting Mm -hmm. with the mentally ill. And this idea was sort of like promoted as as a kind thing because like these mentally ill people, they... Mm -hmm not a life worth living. Mm. We're putting them out of their misery, basically.
0: And both for them, but also for society at large. This was seen yes. as, like, long-term yes. the right their thing genes to do. cannot
1: infect society. Yep. Good hearty Germans will not have to waste their labor supporting the lessers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and all of this was done in order to promote the health of the German people. Like, it's like the the whole human stock of the nation. And we kind of see how this eventually leads not to Germany to just take this to its to its end conclusion, which is to outright mass murder anyone who doesn't fit the the racial ideal. As it goes into a more intensive phase, like an, at the end of the war, mm-hmm. as and the and the reason why I think I think this is important too, because the Nazi German eugenesis project started slow in the 30s and picked up pace over time. But as the Nazi leadership realized that. They are going to lose the war, which they realized in around 1930-43. That's when the Holocaust uh, ramped up its intensity. They were so dedicated to their eugenics cause that they couldn't—they couldn't wait for sterilization to to take its course. They couldn't wait for for segregation and miscegenation laws to so like work in the long term, mm-hmm. which has had been which has had been the plan for many other countries in throughout Europe at this time. And that's where the only the only choice they had is. Mass murder in order to to fulfill this this goal. Now I'm shifting a little bit from like medical history into general history because it's sort of seen by many historians that Nazi Germany wasted a lot of resources doing this. They would have had a better chance at winning the war if they hadn't been so dedicated to their eugenicist project. But and I think that's important to mention because it just shows how intense their belief in eugenics actually was. Hermann Goering, for example, outright claimed that it's fine to lose the war because they did the Holocaust and fulfilled their goal of improving the racial health of Germany. Mm. It doesn't matter that they lost the mm. war. In their,
0: in their minds, they're like winning in the long term. Yeah,
1: they're winning in the long term. Yeah. So, and that's...
0: I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah,
1: that is really interesting and really horrifying because yeah. it, it's a it's a view into into the logical endpoint of like an eugenic ideology, where you, where you start seeing that if you if you if you take the first steps into thinking that you, that you can improve humanity, eventually you start thinking that's your that, like that's your entire moral outlook, which um, you know obviously had led to some of the the worst horrors the humanity has ever seen. Yeah. That's sort of my end to to th- that bit before I go into talking about like the decline of the movement, afterwards.
0: yeah, it's kind of a hard hard point to to end on, isn't it um do you know what so'cause because I mean next we want to talk a bit about the supporters and the yeah. opponents of the movement. Did you know that Churchill was actually a supporter? of eugenics oh yes which mm. which is ironic because i mean he is known as the man who stood up to hitler Mm -hmm. but actually he was also a supporter of the the british Eugenics society and he actually served as the honorary vice president and he believed so he he, i mean just like other supporters of eugenics he believed that eugenics could solve race deterioration Mm -hmm. and also reduce crime and poverty um in 1910 churchill warned the unnatural and increasingly rapid growth of the feeble-minded and insane classes, coupled as it is with a steady restriction among the thrifty, energetic, and superior stocks, constitutes a national and race da- danger, which is impossible to exaggerate. I feel like the source from which the steam of madness is fed should be cut off and sealed up before another year has passed. So, oh my god. Yeah, so that's... not
1: He's fully arguing he's for basically arguing what the Nazis did. Exactly.
0: Isn't that when was this? 1910 so I mean it was before but yeah,
1: yeah but he's basically arguing for like Nazi policies 30 years before the right? Nazis did it oh my god
0: then another person which I didn't know
1: I, I should also say that I'm very proud to be a member of the insane classes <laughs>
0: um good for you <laughs> I don't know what to say to that um, I'm, I'm
1: also feeble minded
0: I'm not leaving that in, in the podcast just so you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> the insane classes I want you to keep, though.
0: Okay. So, another person that was a supporter, which I did not know about, was Herbert George Wells, who is best known as the author of the Invisible Man and in the War of the Worlds. What's his name as his name was? H.G. Wells. Yes, H.G. Wells. Yeah. Um, so, he is known as having pacifist and socialist... Uh, principles, mm-hmm. but he was an early supporter of eugenics. Yeah. In 1904, he called for the sterilization of failures, <laughs> which is oh god, like god, like short and to the point. Like he did not yeah. waste time with
1: Churchill has like this long thing about like the the degeneration of the races. And no, like, he's like just sterilize, sterilize like, the failures, all the failures,
0: S- just Yeet. sterilize the losers.
1: We're <laughs> Spartan uh, yeah. view of it. Like,
0: however, ew. however, I gotta say that later. In his 1940 book *The Rights of Man*, he—I mean, he—he he switched up a little bit. Mm. So later, he—he he said that among the human rights, which he believed to be available to all people, was a prohibition of mutilation, sterilization, torture, or any bodily punishment. So, I mean, I guess maybe he was an early supporter, and then he kind
2: of—because mm. I mean, it,
0: this, 1940, so maybe you know, he saw yeah. he saw how it actually looked mm. when it was actually put into practice, and then he he decided to to take a step back.
1: Yeah, I feel like it. It might also be possible that he may have kept his original ideas, mm-hmm. but just but but also had the idea that like in theory you could do that, but it also valued the idea of like individual rights more. Being like in theory you could, mm-hmm. but like maybe. you can, But it's it's a more it's a higher moral evil to sterilize people mm-hmm. or to mm-hmm. invade invade their lives. Like even mm-hmm. if it would mm-hmm. like improve the human stock, like maybe. Maybe these two ideas exist at the yeah. same time, but he probably changed his mind a little bit. Or maybe but he didn't want.
0: Maybe he also didn't want to be public about it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, during during the war in Europe, fighting against like the most yeah. eugenicist nation in the history of the world, being pro eugenics is like a bad move, bad mm, PR, bad look. Yeah. But I think it's important that you mentioned that like he also had like he had some lefty views. Like mm-hmm. there were um, today, eugenics is very much associated with like far right movements because of the Nazis. Yeah. But there were. There were a lot of left-wing eugenicists too, because they believe because they
0: believe it's for the for the better of everyone.
1: Yeah, for the better of everyone. Like this yeah. is a they they saw it as a universal good. I mean, many socialists saw it as a sort of like they could see that working class people were like more mentally unwell. They were more uh, they were sicker. Uh, but some but some of them didn't, you know, blame capital as most like lefties and socialists would. They 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 said that, like well maybe that's part of it, but maybe we can also like bre- you know fix the the stock of the working class and then. That will assist in the revolution, mm. which is horrifying. Mm. But it, I think that's important to, to mention because, like, it's,
0: it's it, it wasn't it, just far right. Yeah,
1: people. like anyone, literally anyone, like all sorts of people could be, and probably at some point was, pro eugenics.
0: Eugenics, yeah. Speaking of, oh, <laughs> other surprising supporters of eugenics include Helen Keller <laughs> and Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs>
1: I'm not surprised by Roosevelt, but Helen Keller, really? Yeah.
0: So Helen Keller was in favor of refusing life-saving medical procedures to infants with life-threatening conditions because they thought that they would become criminals. And she was also concerned about human overpopulation. And that kind of goes, I think that that's like her main reason for being in favor of, of eugenics. Mm. So she um, rejected And I quote, cowardly sentimentalism, which promotes life at any cost and disregards human suffering. So Helen Keller's perspective was that, you know, it's, yeah, like, it's not a life worth living, like, if you're born with defects, and that we, you know, we have to think about overpopulation as a problem that needs solving, Mm. and you know, not, not be sentimental about it. Yeah,
1: that's horrifying, because I've always, like, known, quote, unquote, that, like, Helen Keller's, like, Good person, disability rights activist, very good. It's weird it's just to hear that someone's a disability rights activist mm. and a eugenicist at the same time.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, I'm not an expert on Helen Keller, but I guess maybe she, she was in favor of um, disability assistance for people that are already born. But mm. um, maybe maybe her perspective was that if you can prevent a person from living that life, then you should. Yeah. Just just a wild guess.
1: That is wild. Yeah. Surprising to But like, but don't is...
0: quote me on that because I don't know. <laughs> I just We don't say know that. anything.
1: We don't know much about how and but it yeah. it's it's interesting.
0: It's interesting, sure. Listen, people are complicated, politics are complicated. Politics you is can have sure. you can have contrasting views.
1: But uh, actu- okay. actually actually, um, as as we're recording this part, uh, just doing some quick research during recording. Uh, we have both discovered a place um, on, on eugenics that is pro-eugenics today. We found a website that has, um, that is pro-Planned Parenthood from a eugenicist standpoint. Um, so, you know, some, some could argue that Planned Parenthood, family planning is a type of eugenics, I guess? At least this site is.
0: God, don't say that. People will take it the wrong way. Um, anyway, Listen, I also wanted to say, to talk about early opposers of eugenics. Yes. Because I think that when we think back in time about like horrifying mm-hmm. social movements, I feel like often there's this tendency to say, well, people just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't have the information to say that this was wrong. Mm-hmm. The science was, it wasn't available to them or no. whatever, but actually, there was a fair amount of people who knew that eugenics was strong, and yeah. they knew it didn't make sense, like, even from a scientific standpoint. Mm.
1: Yeah, um, many scientists, like, weren't in favor, and there were many people who, who, there were many people who also argued that, like, even if genetic determinism was a real thing, that still doesn't, that doesn't matter. Yeah, like, the, like the,
0: it still had problems with how eugenics policies were, yeah. were phrased. For example, uh, Gilbert Keith Chesterston, an English writer, philosopher, and literary art critic, is known to have criticized the passing of the Mental Deficiency Act of 1914. So that act would have made provisions for the institutional treatment of people deemed feeble-minded and morally defective. So he criticized the act for being vague, writing that every Trump who is sulk Every laborer who is shy, every rustic who is eccentric can quite easily be brought under such conditions as were designed for homicidal maniacs, so mm. basically he was saying that listen, you put anybody in that like, in, that, con- in, like a bad that, situation. in a bad situation in a condition of poverty it doesn't matter if it's you know yeah. how good they are of a person or yeah. what their genes the genetics are doesn't matter they- yeah exactly it's it's gonna they're gonna probably they're
1: gonna it's happen in similar circumstances
0: exactly that's
1: very interesting because, uh, yeah, and like it, people were morally opposed to, to this and like saw that there... it doesn't really make sense what you're doing here, you're you're painting in broad strokes to just hate on poor people,
0: yeah, exactly. Because that's that's the thing that he was most opposed to. He this idea that poverty was a result of bad breeding, mm. and woke bay. So he he says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading a lot of quotes, but I, I just think it's kind of um. It's kind of cool. And okay, this quote actually contains a slur, which I'm not going to say. And I will just say the proper word Mm -hmm. instead. (laughs) So he's doing well. He's also saying slurs, but I just like his It's
1: 1913. I
0: just, I I, I like the way he says this. Um, So he mocked the idea that poverty was a result of bad breeding, saying, it is a strange new disposition to regard the poor as a race, as if they were a colony of Japanese and Chinese laborers. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, the poor are not a race or even a type. It is senseless to talk about breeding them, for they are not a breed.
1: That this makes me wonder if he's like okay with eugenics if it's about like the races, though. <laughs> Maybe he's not super woke anyway, in that case. Because like he's basically saying like poor people aren't a race. You can't you can you can't breed them like a race. But he's also saying like but then he's also like implying that you can do that with the races.
0: At least he saw the problem with treating like, air you, quotes yeah. undesirable traits mm. that are not like related to genetics to, as, yeah. as traits that you can just breed out yeah. which a lot of people i mean I, and again i'm saying this because a lot of people at the time believed this and and i i just want to make this point that like they clearly had enough information to realize this is stupid yeah,
1: this <laughs> um, doesn't make any sense
0: this does not being make... poor
1: is not a genetic disorder
0: <laughs> um interestingly enough among institutions, the Catholic Church was an opponent to yes. side to state enforced sterilizations. Not from, from the beginning though. No, not from the beginning. They um uh, so they did not condemn eugenics entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, some
1: eugenics is okay.
0: Some eugenics is okay. The gonna, American that's gonna
1: get clipped and taken out of context.
0: So they um, they did not condemn eugenics entirely from the beginning, and the American Eugenics Society initially did gain some Catholic followers. Um, support declined after the uh, Pope Pius IX condemned sterilization laws, with the argument that governmental entities have no right to interfere with the bodies of their subjects when no crime has been commi- committed. So their problem mm. mainly laid in in like the f-
1: individual rights basically well
0: they 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 started from the idea that life is sacred mm. and you cannot
1: can't interfere with that you
0: can yeah you can't like kill somebody mm. like that's not a life that you can take mm-hmm. um or sterilize yeah cuz then you interfere with like an individual's body and their mm. ability to procreate i want but, so I, I didn't look into this uh, very deeply but i wonder what parts of sterilization they were actually okay with what, well, what, I mean, what parts of eugenics they were actually okay with I well
1: mean. i mean they also talked about like in cases of crime
0: oh yeah
1: so I, I feel like maybe maybe the catholic church was like fine in cases of crime um hmm.
2: but maybe, but, maybe. But, but
1: but like if you're just an innocent person hmm. the pope is like nah you you can't do that they haven't done anything wrong
2: yeah,
0: but they did, but but they did think that eugenics as a means of like population management tool in some ways was okay.
1: Mm. Yeah, and that, that that was very common, like in that that was how many viewed it as like it's as a a as a as a state institution to control the population, mm-hmm. uh, either to make it better, to get rid of bad stock, or to just like. Have government control over the population in general. Today, like obviously, we again we see this as sort of evil. Don't don't tread on me, Gene. Government, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, in those days, people thought that it could be the responsibility of the government. So, even during the height of eugenics, before the war, people were against it for a variety of grounds, like moral, scientific, religious, and. The movement of eugenics is mostly gone today. Very few people will call themselves a eugenicist. But why is that? Well, it turns out that when a nation declares war on half of the world and invades and starts committing genocide, as in Nazi Germany, eugenics gets bad PR. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look that great. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, the United Nations exists. Because the United Nations, if you didn't know, was founded from the the United Nations against the Axis, and they declared that all people are created equal. You can't you can't do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of these like eugenicist policies that had like been kind of default for for a time suddenly became you know international,
2: international human crime. rights violations. Yeah.
1: Um, and th- you know over time, over the decades, like more and more like of these eugenicist laws fall. Out of favor, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they begin to be removed.
0: They, they pretty slowly though. Pretty slowly,
1: and... like it didn't not instantly, but over time, things mm. like sterilization laws, things like yeah. uh, segregation, things like, like miscegenation there's... laws, they begin they begin to be phased out because arguing for that for it is almost impossible at this point because mm. any sort of pro eugenicist movement is going to be seen as almost like pro Nazi.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is But even but even though they're not. They're not called eugenics laws anymore. There's a fair amount of, like, government-mandated sterilizations yes. that continue well into the 21st century.
1: Oh, yes. Many of these laws don't get removed until the 70s, but they don't call them eugenics anymore.
0: No, they and, just and, and, come under different don't do, names.
1: They don't do it against the poor, but they still do it against the mentally feeble. Sweden, for example, did it until 1970. Two, i think and i mean as, as many trans people know mm-hmm. like
0: yeah that's the one i was gonna mention too
1: <laughs> like as as a trans person like many countries still today uh have remnants of eugenicist laws applied to trans people
2: mm-hmm.
1: um sweden didn't get rid of it until 2013 finland still does it Jap- japan still does it
0: so how does it work like for people who don't know
1: So the way okay, so so what it works, how it works is that like during the 70s, when many of these eugenicist laws were being removed, trans people were already being sterilized as being as being mentally feeble. Mm -hmm. So in order to get legal recognition as a trans person, you would be forced to undergo uh, a a castration, like a physical castration.
0: Mm -hmm. So transgender laws in places like Sweden is an Mm -hmm. example of that, but um, that's not the only one. Like the one-child policy in China could Mm -hmm. also technically be an example of eugenics and that was mandated until 2015. Uzbekistan is another place where coercive sterilizations and hysterectomies were reported by the UN in 2007 Mm -hmm. and then in the US between the years 2005 to 2013 nearly one third of the 144 California prison inmates who are sterilized did not give lawful consent to the operation. So this, I mean, this keeps happening, and yeah. it's you know, it's it's definitely like we we think of eugenics as like a thing of the past mm. that happened in World War Two, and it was awful, mm. but it it, still, and in, in some ways, it's still around.
1: Yeah, um, there are some places in America uh, where even if it is. Given freely, like a consensual sterilization, some uh, some places you can reduce your prison sentence if you agree to be sterilized, mm-hmm. and that is like a leftover from eugenesis laws from like the tens and twenties, mm-hmm. which does doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a, you know, a criminal isn't going to I don't know, do less crimes because they're sterilized. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of the argument. Then the argument obviously is that like then they can't
2: Bring, have kids yeah, and that then, will
1: have the crime gene mm-hmm. in them.
0: I mean in in a way it's also almost like an admission of guilt because they know that ex-convicts ha- find it very difficult to like adapt to society and get their life back together so they're thinking well less children born in poverty means fewer criminals mm. yeah. in the future
1: which isn't necessarily like a genetic thing but it's still eugenics because you're it you're is, working to even though you, you're not changing like the genetic aspect of it you're saying you're changing the pop the the population Mm -hmm. uh in in a way
0: but everything that we've mentioned so far goes into the category of like coercive eugenics Mm -hmm. i also wanted to talk a bit about eugenics as a non-coercive tool Mm -hmm. because you know, society has developed and has advanced technologically mm-hmm. and medically, and there's there, there's some uh,
1: <laughs> there is a type of eugenics.
0: There is a type of eugenics which is becoming more popular now, Yes. which is very controversial. Yes, um, that I think would be interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. But let's let's do that a bit later. Firstly. We've been kind of like dunking on eugenics throughout this episode <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and saying that, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's obviously morally wrong mm-hmm. and um, and
1: incorrect and, and in, bad. But,
0: yeah, but that's the thing. We've, we've been mentioning a lot that it doesn't have a scientific basis, mm. but we haven't really said why. Mm. So let me say why. So other than the obvious ethical considerations, it has been criticized by scientists for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. including shoddy science. So firstly, a lot of the traits that have been studied by eugenicists have very little genetic basis mm-hmm. so among the traits targeted for elimination there are a lot of complex and quite subjective traits <laughs> yeah. like criminality and, and yeah like feeble-mindedness which is just an umbrella term for like various degrees of mm. mental and physical and and learning disabilities mm. so the eugenics movement was rooted in this belief that complex human traits are controlled by single genes that mm. can be inherited in a predictable pattern. Yeah. Just like, you know, Mendel's peas or fly-eye color. Uh, but that's not true. Like, most traits that, that people were interested in are actually controlled by the very complex interaction of tens, if not hundreds, of genes.
2: Mm. Now, yeah. we, we P- honestly like, complicated.
0: Pe- genetics is very complicated. Like, even to this day, we don't really know everything about how um how some of these disorders work mm. like from a genetic standpoint um,
2: and
1: it's also like an argument between like nature and nurture because exactly, the, the eugenicist exactly. argument is like it's all nature it's all genetics uh, exactly but obviously even people who have like you know we've seen in twin studies that people who have identical genetic makeups can mm-hmm. have radically different lives depending on how they're raised yeah
0: yeah exactly so eugen- eugenicists they either were unaware, or they chose to ignore how the environment actually affects these traits that mm. they were interested in.
1: I'm gonna wager a guess to say that they ignored because it suits the 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 interests of those in power.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Another interesting fact about genetics, which they did not consider, is the presence of pleiotropic genes. So, a pleiotropic gene is a gene that influences multiple. Uh, phenotypic traits that are that seemingly are unrelated. So, for example... And ph- my-
1: phenotypic means external, visible. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So, for example, uh, myopia or nearsightedness and higher intelligence are related pleiotropically. So, a coercive government eugenics program might prohibit people who are nearsighted to have children, but by doing that, they actually uh, would select against highly intelligent people. Mm.
1: Yeah, because, you know, genes do many things.
0: Yes, they do. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: The main criticism of eugenics, however, is that artificial selection can cause harmful loss of genetic diversity. And genetic diversity is essential for the survival and the health of a species.
1: Habsburgs. Habsburgs. (laughs) Habsburgs. uh, Lack of genetic diversity has never uh, caused anything bad. I don't think. Ever? Mm -hmm. It's not like we definitely made a podcast of lack of... See our
0: previous episode! (laughs) Yeah.
1: If you want to see eugenics in practice, you can see... Look at uh, Charles Habsburg, mm-hmm. the... The jaw. The, according to eugenesis of the time, must have been the peak human specimen.
0: Mm-hmm. But listen, okay, so just to round it up. So genetic diversity is obtained by the constant reshuffling of inherited characteristics and new mutations, rather than like the concentration of a few allegedly desirable characteristics. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because, like, hypothetically, if if the Nazis had done their entire plan and wiped out most of humanity and all of humanity mm. w- would become Aryans, mm-hmm. and then suddenly a disease comes that only kills Aryans,
2: mm-hmm.
1: humanity doesn't really have, like, the genetic diversity to protect mm. itself. Mm. Like, banana trees have this, for example, where, like, bananas, are. all banana trees are clones of each other, and they have the exact same genetic makeup, and there's a fungus... That is like really good at killing that specific genetic makeup. Yeah, so yeah. now, like banana trees are in crisis because like they they have no genetic protection. Yeah,
0: exactly. So genetic diversity is the key to to maintain a population yeah. because it really there's no there's no real fittest individual Mm. the fittest individual is uh, changes based on the environment and so the key to a strong population is having a highly diverse genetic makeup Mm. so that so So that that
1: the needs of the situation will always be met by at least some members of the species exactly which is probably a big reason why darwin probably disagreed with galton right because galton argues to reduce the the genetic diversity a little bit
0: yeah I, probably yeah.
1: maybe probably maybe not that sophisticated but like i'm guessing that's probably a part of it because i feel like darwin at least that's like that's a big part of natural selection Like yeah, that's he... that's what evolution like that's sort of a thing that many people discount that like there there's no like path to evolution it just happens to like if, it, if there is a diversity enough then there will always be
0: somebody who is yeah. like the best fit for yes. the current environment And that's
1: how species evolve like mm-hmm. with the with the finches and things like that mm-hmm. um a little bit about the finishes, I know something.
0: So the last like argument against eugenics is that there's no like and I mean this goes without saying, but there's no like objective way of determining what traits are ultimately desirable or undesirable. So there's certain conditions like sickle cell disease and cystic fibrosis that confer immunity to malaria and resistance to cholera. So eliminating these genes is undesirable in places where such diseases are common. Mm.
1: So we already mentioned that some eugenics is still around today, but we talked about trans people, for example, being sterilized. We talked about you know one-child policy only very recently being have been revoked. But how does how does eugenics? What's what's the what's the score? What is the state of eugenics today?
0: So people who are supporters of eugenics don't really like to think of it as eugenics, but there's definitely something that is. Kind of a modern form of eugenics, otherwise mm. called liberal eugenics. Um, I read about this yeah more more commonly it's known as human genetic engineering mm. so basically eugenics has has gotten a new form with recent advances in genetics mm. and reproductive technology. So you've mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's, it's still relevant today. Like Human genetic engineering can be divided into two categories. Mm. And negative engineering, which is basically correction of genetic disorders and deficiencies. And positive engineering, which refers to an enhancement mm. of an individual's genetic makeup. Usually the first one is a little bit more, it's more agreed on. Yeah. The latter is a little bit more controversial. Mm. So some of the practices included in new eugenics are pre-implantation diagnosis and embryo selection, selective breeding, and human enhancement for the use of genetic technologies like embryo engineering or gene therapy. So or CRISPR. <laughs> well, CRISPR is one of them. CRISPR is yeah, one of them, yeah. It's, it's a big one. So let's let's go a bit into more detail into what these mm-hmm. different things are. So pre-implantation diagnosis is the genetic profiling of embryos prior to implantation and sometimes even oocytes prior to fertilization. Mm. Pre-implantation diagnosis is used primarily for genetic disease prevention by selecting only those embryos that do not have a known genetic disorder. Mm. It can also be used to increase the chances of a successful pregnancy, for sex selection, or to match a sibling and HLA type in order to be a donor. So the HLA, um, I'm just going to go over this super quick, the HLA is a cell surface protein which regulates the immune system and only people who have similar hla complexes are able to receive transplants from from each other so by selecting for hla type you can ensure that the sibling that is born would be able to be a donor or receive a transplant from an already existing member of the family Mm, that's interesting yeah so i mean you could technically be having a farm of
1: oh god an (laughs) organ harvesting farm
0: yeah Technically. Te- technically. You
1: could technically, but you know that someone somewhere is doing this. I
0: don't know. Like,
1: if it's possible, someone somewhere is doing it.
0: But so... In- I'm also thinking,
1: like, with sex selection, though, because, like, that yeah. is something that, like, has yeah. had, yeah. like, real-world consequences. For example, yeah. like, in like in China with the one-child policy. Exactly. Where, like, male children are preferred. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and if you can only have one child, most of them will choose to have mm-hmm. a male child. Yeah. And suddenly there are whole generations where the... You know, the typical balance is 50-50 or like mm-hmm. 50.1 and point. There's only men.
0: There's no women. And now there's
1: just like an overflow of men. And yeah. this is similar things that are happening in India, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um Which is... Uh, not great
0: yeah and this is why in uh some countries like in germany pre-implantation diagnosis is permitted only for preventing stillbirths and genetic diseases so they don't let you select for for sex Mm. using this technology they only like only if, if you can prove that like there's a genetic condition running in your family like you know you're worried that your kid might have it like that's the only um that's the only reason they would allow you to use this technology yeah I also wanted to talk a bit about how even new eugenics is still, like, a class issue.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Because we, you know, we've been talking about eugenics from the perspective of, like, how it allowed the wealthy, the white, the traditional, like, ruling class to select for people like them. Yeah. And how this was very much, like like an act of terrorism against poor people in some cases and i wanted to make the argument that this is still happening today like for example selective breeding in the context of new eugenics it virtually means lack of access to reproductive technology and also decreased social and legal representation of people who are less white less wealthy less traditional and less able-bodied Um, There's actually this really good book by Judith Dar called The New Eugenics Selective Breeding in an Era of Reproductive Technology, which goes into detail of how eugenics has far from disappeared and has in fact adapted to medical and technological advances.
1: I'm reminded of how, like, in America, a lot of when it comes to complications, like during pregnancy, black women will far more be suggested to go for like an, an aborted pregnancy more than m- far more than white people who often get like medical assistance to support the pregnancy mm-hmm, mm. um
0: that's a good example of it which i think yeah. what what i was thinking of is how expensive reproductive technology is mm. ivf and pre-implantation diagnosis those things are expensive yeah. like e- like a normal you know middle class family can hardly afford that
1: yeah so i guess we run the risk of like the rich people Sort of breeding themselves into a super super class a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean we haven't reached like the the topic of like human enhancement. Yet. But yet, but the point that I'm making here is that this is a tool that is only available for, yeah, for wealthy yeah. individuals. Mm. Um, so in a sense, that is also like a, a selection force yeah. for those people.
1: If you want to see this in fiction, watch Gattaca.
0: <laughs> is that way? Is that the one you mentioned earlier?
1: No, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I mentioned idiocracy earlier. Oh, okay. Um, What's that? Gattaca is a, a science fiction thing where people are genetically designed from birth, but only rich people. But that means that all like all the good jobs are taken by are taken by like genetically perfect people, and then mm-hmm. everyone else gets to gets to work with, like janitors or something. And the main character is is a, is a person who isn't genetically engineered, but who who like steals the genetic identity code. Of someone who is genetically engineered, but who has broken his back and is a, is disabled, and mm-hmm. therefore he can't work either and like he 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 gets a job at at the place and like fulfills his dream of going to space, which mm-hmm. is something that like only genetically perfect people are allowed to do mm. um, yeah. There's
0: a lot of like fiction with those themes mm. okay, but let's talk about gene editing, human enhancement so mm-hmm. so far we've been talking about use of genetic technologies that are meant to reduce suffering you know which a lot of people think that that is acceptable and that is reasonable and justifiable now we're going to get a bit into the side of of genetic technology that is a bit harder to justify and that a lot of people have a problem with and that is gene editing i don't know if you know this but there already are two chinese girls lulu and nana whose genomes have been editing uh, the scientist in charge of the project is a Chinese scientist named He Shangku. I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. I'm not sure if I did. I hope I did. But so he's a biophysicist who, um, who was in charge of this entire project, which they published their paper in 2017. So, you know, it probably happened like sometime uh, leading up to that. So his project consisted of recruiting eight couples consisting of an HIV-positive father and an HIV-negative mother. And his, the, the, the goal of the project that he presented to the public was that he wanted to genetically modify a protein called CCR5, which would then confer resistance to HIV infection. So he, he recruited these eight couples. He performed in vitro fertilization, in order to induce pregnancy. So the sperms were cleansed of HIV. He disabled the gene, implanted the the embryos, and uh but this project has always been a bit controversial, because there's a lot of things about gene editing that we don't really know how they would work. Like, for example, a problem is that we don't know whether genetically modifying one gene might cause mutations in other genes. So um, this was brought to the attention of He, and he said that he tested for that, and there weren't any issues. Another problem with this project is that CCR5 is actually thought to help people fight off the effects of various other infections, such as the West Nile virus. His research and clinical trials were therefore wildly condemned by the scientific community. He was actually brought to court for forging ethical review documents, and also because he, in a way, he coerced his patients to stay in the trial so he said that um, the costs of the re- reproductive technology would be covered by the experiment but that they would have to repay the costs if they decided to drop out which Yo. is yeah which is a form of like financial coercion and yeah. that yeah so he was brought to court for that That's messed up but but listen there's a a very interesting theory here that is widely circulating and the theory is that he actually attempted to improve the patient's cognition So remember the protein CCR5 and how a lot of people were like, "Hmm, you know, it's a little weird that you're targeting this protein because it actually confers protection to other infections. So you're putting them at risk. And he's like, that's fine. No, it's fine. Don't worry. Like, it's just, I really need to do this protein. Guess what? Uh, (laughs) There's, um, there's actually a fair amount of research in mice that shows that the ccr5 gene can actually enhance cognition and memory and so scientists believe that he may have gone after ccr5 in an attempt to improve the baby's cognition
1: breeding super smart humans
0: yeah, I mean, people people think that he actually... Well,
1: he wanted to experiment. But he wanted to experiment, exactly.
0: That. So obviously, he wouldn't have been allowed to perform this research if, if he told people that Ashley wants to see if he can enhance the baby's intelligence. Like The only way he got permission to do this is because he said this would come for resistance to HIV. So to be clear, there is no direct evidence that he set out to boost the baby's intelligence. But there's just a lot of factors that don't like kind of point in the direction of that theory being true a lot of weird uh, uh, a lot exactly a lot of weird coincidences a lot of like questionable decisions on his part so in the end on the Friday of December 2019 he was sentenced to three years in prison and he was fined Four hundred and thirty thousand USD for forging ethical review documents and misleading doctors into unknowingly implanting gene edited embryos into the two women. So
2: no, I, you mean he
1: tricked like his own staff into doing these things as well? Like he he didn't just trick the patients; like he tricked a lot of people in order to like do this. Yeah, a little mad scientist vibes.
0: A little bit, yeah. So he he was fired. He's not allowed to practice anymore. The Chinese government denounced him. <laughs> Um so it's denounced it's, from the party. It's pretty bad. Yeah. But so this is just an example of how easy like genetic editing can can go wrong and how much potential there is for for abuse.
2: Mm.
1: So that is a small history of eugenics and a little bit about modern genetic manipulation. Seems to be a lot of uh, like danger, mm-hmm. a lot of concern, a lot of like, I don't know, like overconfident doctors thinking that they can. It's a lot of mad scientist vibes here, like, mm. both in Francis Galton and. It's too much power. Too much power. I guess that despite like any potential or, you know, any type of like scientific view on it, there's no way to do basically any type of genetics like ethically like on a large like societal scale because mm. like that's that's where we get into like all the horrible mm. horrifying like implementations because you know these ideas of like bettering human stock or they're you know they're tainted with like views on racism and classism and ableism like all of these yeah. things sort of infest this view
0: yeah um, genetic technologies are like fascinating like the fact that we're able to do that um I think is so interesting. But I just really don't see how we could implement this without causing a lot of problems. I I just don't really see how we could make use of it ethically. Um, Like, there's just so, so much potential for for misuse and abuse.
1: And so much of it is subjective too, right? Because, Mm. like, how how do we define a good trait versus bad trait? Like, Mm. that's... Yeah. Even in terms of, like, individual genes, that's, like, impossible. Yeah,
2: And and, and... Like you mentioned,
1: like, many traits aren't even genetically determined.
0: Yeah, and I mean there's also there's also this argument of like what gives value to a human life. Mm. Yeah. It's it's a very complicated discussion and it's it's very much I think there's a lot of like philosophical
1: conundrums. Conundrums. Yeah. Exactly.
0: that I don't necessarily feel qualified to go into
1: no god me neither but and more importantly maybe maybe the doctors in like geneticists probably aren't qualified to to get into that either yeah, but
0: there's like words of ethical bioethics yeah. that can probably look into that but then even but that's th- like complicated exactly you know? exactly well anyway that's our episode on eugenics mm-hmm. one uh, of
2: the
1: worst sciences maybe to have evolved
0: yeah i think we can both agree that it um it led to some horrifying science yeah or some horrifying history
1: Mm. and uh as as is unfortunately the case a lot of medical history is is
0: pretty scary pretty
1: scary hopefully will be you know hopefully other episodes will have a bit more of a sheer full tone Mm -hmm. and i think that's maybe it for us today yeah talking about eugenics
0: Once again, my name is Roluca Montano,
1: And my name is Mia Mulder.
0: You can find us on Twitter at LeechFestPod.
1: Yes. And you can uh, find our podcast on Spotify. On Acast now, Mm -hmm, because we've mm -hmm. changed hosting. Mm -hmm. uh, So there might be a small disruption in distribution. Hopefully not. But we're on Acast now. You can find us on LeechFest there.
0: Or any other place where you get your podcasts. Yeah.
1: Or and, on TikTok because we have Leech Fest.
0: Yeah, we've um, um, we made a TikTok and it got a lot of likes.
1: <laughs> we made a TikTok, so now we're gonna make TikTok. This is a TikTok podcast now, Medical History TikTok podcast.
0: I feel like do people like our TikToks more than they like the actual episodes? Should we just should we even bother making episodes or should we? They just, just do want t- TikToks. They just want TikToks. Maybe Pod- we'll just
1: do TikToks. Podcasts are a format of the past. <laughs> TikToks is the way of the future. Um, Reject reject tradition embrace, embrace modernity. modernity Anyway, to if,
0: if you want to support us on patreon that would be cool you can find us at patreon.com/leechfest podcast mm. thanks again for listening mm.
1: this has been leechfest podcast
0: and we'll see you next time next time it wasn't recording
1: <laughs> you're kidding okay.